Hey everybody, welcome back to the Eastside Agent Podcast. This is uh, Chris Buteau, your host. This is sponsored by Cleveland Street Mortgage and um, hosting here, podcasting from our uh, Chelan location. And uh, today we're going to talk about you know the, the, the usual things. First of all, you know, a quick little antidote. And we're going to be in Everett, Washington. This is a little bit north of what's classically considered um, uh, the east side. It's uh, north of Lake Washington. You know, most uh, the east side has reference to the Seattle area and the communities that are on the east side of the lake from Seattle. Basically, you know, Renton, Bellevue, Kirkland, Woodenville, Bothell. Um, but this is just a little bit north of that. And uh, this was a listing in South Everett, uh, 655 950 So this is kind of considered a first-time homebuyer price. Here, really charming three-bed, two-and-a-half bath, 1,800 square foot home. Um, it was clean, very nice um, curb appeal, but it's not updated, not fancy. And, uh, and, and you know, South Everett, Everett is kind of hit and miss. You know, there, there's, uh, there's some very sketchy areas and there's some very lovely waterfront homes and everything in between there. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of not the most happening community, but it's also a Boeing hub. Um, so, you know, Boeing has a, a ton of jobs there, big plant there. And so, you know, uh, very attractive um, for that reason. So listed at 655, 950, had uh, three offers within the first 24 hours, two of them over list, all very nice terms. And so kind of what we see here is just a very healthy seller's market, you know, and, and it's not because we're selling a ton of homes, but that the buyers still outnumber the willing sellers, you know, and especially in this first time home buyer, you know, this first time home buyer range price point, um, the buyers outnumber the sellers. You know, a lot of, a lot of sellers that are kind of traditionally move up buyers, they're, they're a little more reluctant now because, you know, they're, hold, they're sitting on a lower interest rate and, and that is, you know, holding them back. However, there is some good news here. Um, inventory is climbing, you know, the, and, and this is, we're getting into the summer months past kind of the traditionally super active months of spring, which was kind of sluggish. You know, it, it, it was really kind of a slow build throughout the spring. And, um, but summer inventory is climbing and that's good news because the buyers are still there and these properties are going to sell, you know, active listings went from 451, 451,000. This is nationwide to about 459. Now for reference, um, in 2015, active listings were almost 1.2 million, so we're well below. But we still see more buyers than sellers out there. So, so you know, what we have is a you know is, is a somewhat unhealthy market because days on market are in the teens, you know, as a teenager. Um, but uh, you know, good news for sellers, and the good news for buyers is that more properties are coming on. So get out there. Um, let's talk about plays that worked. Um, uh, talk to um, one agent. And a play that worked was offering a two-month free rent back to the sellers. Um, and, and you can imagine how that would make sense in this market, right? We're in a market where, um, you know, inventory is still low and there are buyers out there and you're finding yourself in competitive situations. And so if you sell first and then expect to buy, that can be a little nerve-wracking because you may end up homeless. You may end up having to move twice. And who wants to do that? Um, and so offering a two-month rent, rent back can be a super attractive option for a seller because it gives them more time, right? It gives them some time to identify that next house and get moved um, without necessarily having to move twice. So, you know, and two months is kind of a magic number because someone who's buying your house owner-occupied, technically they have to be in it within 60 days in order to claim it as an owner-occupied property. So two months is typically the max that they can give um, officially. 
Um, let's move over to economic news, interest rates. Right now, we're looking, you know, if you're a first-time homebuyer, a lot of incentives for first-time homebuyers right now in Fannie and Freddie pricing. Um, you're looking at about 6.4% APR uh, for a first-time homebuyer if you earn between 100 and 120% of area median income. Now, the 120% is only for people in high-cost areas, like where I am in King, Pierce, Nahomish County, Washington. Um, but, but anywhere in the country, a hundred percent of area median income and you're a first time home buyer pricing is usually about a half point better than if you're not a first time home buyer making at or below hundred or 120%, depending on where you are. Um, so 6.4 first time home buyer APR, 6.9 APR. If you're not a first time home buyer, these are 30 year fixed rate mortgages. So you see about a half point spread there. Um, and, um, you know, the, the spread right now, one of the things that we're seeing right now in the, in the um, mortgage market are uh, the spread between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is, is at historic highs. It's much higher than usual. And so rates, even though, you know, the Fed has intentionally raised rates, they're actually higher than they would otherwise be if just those spreads were normal. And those spreads typically increase when risk are growing, you know, and, and everybody's kind of been talking about recession, there's a risk of recession. So that would tend to do that. But then we had the banking crisis. And that really spiked that spread as well. And, and, the, and the reason for that is, you know, when you have that banking crisis, then lenders, they start to, you know, they, they come under increasing, increasing scrutiny by the regulators, they have to tighten up on their capital requirements, they have to hold on to more capital. So they're not going to lend as much. Um, and so you're going, you know, so, you know, the, the regulators may officially increase their capital requirements. Our banks just may feel that risk greater and they're going to just hold on to more capital. So they'll do that by increasing interest rates, lending less. And so we see that spread go up. So hopefully as we kind of get further and further away from the banking crisis and the, and the risk of that sort of spreading to other banks, hopefully we'll see that spread narrow. And then coupled with that, when the Fed start to back off on raising interest rates, which I don't think we're there yet. I think they've got a couple of more in them. At least that's what they seem to be telegraphing right now. But hopefully we'll see some significant improvement in the interest rates coming down the road, um, you know, maybe in the next year, six months to a year. And then finally, uh, you know, my wannabe viticulturist vignette uh, section of this podcast. You know, I I love wine. I like, I, it's just fascinating to me and and I love uh, just learning about it. I, I fantasize about growing it. So I'm a wannabe viticulturist growing grapes and uh, so I'm reading book. You know, I'm, I'm reading books or information about it but right now my primary source so this is you know sort of a caveat is my primary source is written in 2000 and the Washington wine market was barely existing at that time and it's kind of like you know some you know somebody claiming to be a kind of computer enthusiast and reading a book in 2000 and bragging about the 33.6 kilobit speed on their new AOL dial-up account you know this information could be that data, but I actually don't think the the um, viticulture uh, technology actually progresses as fast as computer technology. So, so many of this is still much of this is still relevant. So, so today, you know, my little vignette is really more of a question: um, What do you think are the most important elements in wine? I'm going to list these four elements in alphabetical order. So, there's climate, there's the grape, there's the soil, and there's the winemaker's skill. So, which of those? And I'm just going to read out of this book. It says, uh, this is, um, uh, so the secret of wine is the, is the grapes it is made from. 
says Bill Wagner, longtime New York State winemaker. Who knows what he's doing today? This is 23 years later. The winemaker's role is to protect and preserve the quality of the good grape right into the bottle. And so he lists another, um, another winemaker says the most important elements ranked in order are first, the most important are first the grape, second the climate, third the soil, and fourth the skill of the winemaker. And so there you go. You know, it, it really is about the ingredients, the soil that they're grown in, the grape itself, and um, that's really the order there. So anyway, there you go. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week.